Welcome to the EcoCiv podcast. This is Austin Roberts. At EcoCiv, we are collaborating with others from around the world who are working toward an ecological civilization. And on this podcast, we engage leading thinkers in conversations about the kinds of transformations required to create a more sustainable, peaceful, and equitable world. If you enjoy this podcast, you can help support the work that we are doing by making a donation at ecociv.org. Today, Andrew Schwartz talks with Venerable Panyam Sunam, a Korean Buddhist monk and activist. Venerable Panyam is the founder of a number of organizations, including the Chunto Society, a volunteer Buddhist community that advocates for peace, sustainability, and human rights, the Join Together Society, an international aid organization that helps children who are hungry, sick, or lacking education opportunities, and EcoBuddha, an NGO that aims to increase public awareness about environmental issues. Since the late 1990s, he has worked to address conflicts in the Korean Peninsula and other Asian countries. His approach to conflict resolution has since informed and inspired individuals in Korea and the U.S., including government officials and members of Congress. Andrew talks to Panyan about the relationship between spiritual practice and social justice work, how the teachings of the Buddha grounds an ecological worldview, the need to integrate concerns about human rights in the global environmental crisis, and many other topics. The audio has been edited so that, for the most part, you will only be hearing Panyan's English interpreter. Additionally, the conversation was recorded in a public space at the Parliament of the World's Religions in Toronto, so just note that you will occasionally hear some background noise. And now, Andrew and Venerable Panyam. We're with Venerable Panyun Sunim, a Korean Buddhist monk and a Zen master renowned for the humanitarian efforts around the world, founder of a number of nonprofit organizations and recipient of the, the Raymond Magsasi, thank you, Magsase Award, which is internationally recognized as Asia's sort of Nobel Prize counterpart. So very prestigious, very, very wonderful guest. Thank you for being here with us. What inspired you to forego the stereotypical monastic life of seclusion and quiet contemplation for a life of activism focused on addressing the world's most critical problems? Uh, the reason for uh, spiritual practice and meditation is to live a happy life. And living a happy life uh, is dependent on personal practice and personal meditation, but also it's dependent on the social context in which we live in, including the social justices and uh, other matters that you know affects the well-being of a member of their society. So in your in your mind what unique insights does Buddhism offer for responding to environmental degradation and, and global systems of exploitation and overconsumption? So to exist does not mean you can exist in isolation for human beings to exist you must exist in the context of the ecosystem with the animals plants and everything else that lives and exists with us. Uh, so therefore, to exist well, you have to reduce the burden on the environment in which you exist and reduce your consumptive footprint to the extent possible to be able to bring about a sustainable uh, well-being of everything that exists with you. That is the teaching of the Buddha, and that teaching is especially relevant and salient to today's world. So we live in, re in a relationship 
with nature. We don't live in isolation as separate and isolated uh, beings in our own existence stovepipes, but we have kind of uh, seen nature as a separate, as an object of exploitation instead of being in relationship with us in a mutual beneficial way. So once we act, and that is the you know key to Buddha's teaching, is the dependent origination right. of everything in which we form relationship with those around us to exist. Therefore, if we can switch our perspective and not see ourselves as so-called protectors of nature or the environment, but as see ourselves as part of the larger ecosystem and nature and trying to ensure our own survival in the midst of that context. Wonderful. Thank you. Given everything you've just said about sort of the teachings of the Buddha, the insights of, of dependent arising and codependent origination, the inter interconnectedness of all things, the idea that we are constituted by our relationships, that uh, we are not separate from nature, but a part of nature, how do you see the global ecological crisis as interconnected with your efforts to promote human rights and world peace? So the basic perspective that brings about today's suffering is that we see nature as an object of conquest in which to base our rising instead of an object of our foundational survival. So it's a matter of perspective that's causing the most issues. In that sense, our ecological issue is one, is one of the most serious ones facing humanity today. So another problem engaged in and interested in and one of the biggest problems facing human society today is one of poverty. And that also arises because we see poverty as a problem only for the poor and that the wealthy are isolated from the problem. However, it's a relationship problem in which whatever waste that we waste as a wealthy society brings about a lack of consumption or lack of the ability to consume even at the basic survival level for the poor. So we have to look at it as a relationship problem in order to be able to resolve it. The third problem is one of peace. The problem of peace can only be solved once you acknowledge the differences in one another. If you don't acknowledge the difference and see each other as right or wrong, you cannot base a lasting sustainable peace on right and wrong judgments. So unless you acknowledge that we are engaged in a relationship and in which we are different from one another, then it becomes a relationship issue really again, or you know, even the peace issue. So even at the most basic level, let's look at the example of dogs. You have many different colored dogs and shaped dogs and different uh, types of dogs. At the same time, nature does not discriminate based on your shape, uh, on your color, on the you know, shape of your ears or anything else. But society, as human beings, we have cre created this construct in which we create a social identity in which we discriminate based on the values within that social identity against race, against gender, against skin color, and whatnot. And that really goes against what's fundamental and foundational to nature. So in that sense, unless we can acknowledge as nature does, the, the differences among us, you know, we cannot build a sustainable peace. So from a peace, um, peace of mind perspective, peace of mind comes about when you're able to see what it is as it is, when you're able to see the connections as connected, and when you're able to see the differences as different instead of right or wrong. With, unless you base your, you know, your perspective on the acknowledgement of the differences and seeing the relationship, you'll never have peace of mind. 
So that's the same thing. That's the object of uh, ultimate goal of meditation is to develop uh, kind of uh, the resilience and the skill set so that you're not uh, so swayed by your emotions and is able to see the objective truth and see the differences, acknowledge them, and also see the relationship as they are connected. So those problems we talked about, environmental problems, uh, peace problems, uh, gender bias problems, all the different problems that we spoke about are not actually separate problems. They're all problems based on different relationship that we have with the world around us. So I'm not trying to be a jack of all trades and be involved in every single issue that I encounter. Actually, it's a natural extension of the work I'm doing because it's all about you know, a spiritual practice and seeing the world as it is. I know at the Parliament of the World's Religions, there's been a lot of talk about uh, oneness and coming together. And uh, I th what I hear you saying is that oneness should not be sameness, that inclusion shouldn't erase diversity, that our differences are important, and that we can have unity but not uniformity. There's unity in difference. And I think that um, the complementarity of differences as opposed to contradictions is what I'm hearing. I think that's a beautiful and important message which could lead to peace and sustainability. And that is because that's how the world is. Yeah. If you look at this hand, all of every, each finger is different. Mm -hmm. But it's connected to one hand. Great. So we call it one hand, though. Mm -hmm. Just because you call it one hand doesn't mean all fingers, five fingers are the same. Right. So the oneness exists with the diversity of that oneness. Right. Becomes very dangerous when you think of oneness as the sameness. Yeah. But, and you can't really see diversity as separateness. So it's a matter of perspective. If you look at it from 3,000 feet away, it's one. But if you go closer in, we're all diverse. Given that, what do you consider the biggest challenges? And I, I have an idea of how you might answer this already, I think, but, but what are some of the biggest challenges that we face in trying to achieve peace and harmony and sustainability on a global scale? So one is really the greed and desires that we all hold, humanity holds. And also second is the sense of entitlement uh, that we have to believe that our view is the right one. So greed leads to this consumptive society in which the more you consume, the better off, the more successful you seem to be. So we live in a world view that's defined by you know, consumption or competition being a you know, highest good to pursue, which brings about such exploitation of the environment and destruction thereof. And the second is kind of the stubborn entitlement to think that my culture my viewpoint is the only, the right one. And so we hold stubborn to that sense of entitlement which goes about, brings about a lot of tensions and conflicts. And sometimes those two factors are intertwined, they go together. So the religion's original purpose or stated purpose should be to guide people away from this consumptive kind of a greedy behavior, also move people away from 
being entitled to their own views and it teaches them to respect the diversity of views. But conversely, we see religion often leading the way right. to teaching people that wealth is you know, a sign of good faith and also a sign of blessing, and as well as kind of teaching people to be stubborn in their own narrow parochial religious belief that causes conflicts and tension with others. So in a way, religion kind of has lost its way and it's not you know, achieving what it should be achieving. Yeah. I'd, I'm tempted to ask you how we fix that uh, among religions, but I think maybe we can save that for another time. <laughs> but I'll ask you a, a, maybe an equally complicated question. Um, so among your, your published works, you talk about themes like prayer and wisdom, freedom and happiness. What role do you see these themes as having in creating a more harmonious, peaceful and sustainable world? My add-on question is also then, then what is the key to happiness and freedom? And you're welcome to answer that if you want. 추가 질문은 추가 질문인데 그것은 이제 그 행복과 그 자유의 정말 그 열쇠가 무엇인지 여쭤보고 싶습니다. So we often think that happiness is what we can do whatever we want and also the freedom that we can do whatever we want. We often define those two in those terms. But these type of freedom and happiness actually conversely brings about our suffering and our chains. True happiness and freedom can actually be defined when you are able to be free from your own desires and greed and attain wellness and happiness that way. That's why true freedom and happiness, you have to start with yourself. When you are a little bit more freer from your own desires, you can go about it, trying to solve the world's problems. I'm not trying to say you should suppress your desires. Because everyone has desires. I'm saying we have to free ourselves from those desires. If you follow the path of your desires, you run into the path of others' desires as well, and that creates conflicts. But if you suppress your desire, you create inner stress. So suppressing your desire or just following your desire blindly, they are not the solutions. First, acknowledge and recognize that you are a being with desire. Once you become aware of your desire, then there's a way to free yourself from your desire at the moment of awareness. That is the core teaching and purpose of meditation. So I know, you know, we're running low on time. Thank you so much for giving so much time already. And I'll wrap up with this one question. In a world of turmoil, one that's filled with systemic injustice and suffering, what gives you hope? It's not just today that we are experiencing this injustice or social turmoil. It has always been like this. It's not the world that's especially complex today. It's that we're trying to understand today's changing world from a framework, from a perspective, from the past. That's why we are confused. It's important for us to look at the flow of today's world as it changes, as it changes, not trying to interpret it through some framework from the past. You mentioned justice. There's no set definition for justice. Because if you say this is justice, you create injustice based on that justice to others. 
정이라고 정해질 것은 본래 정해진 것은 본래 없다. So there is no ingrained or inherent definition to justice. 아무렇게나 해도 되느냐? Does that mean you can do whatever you want? 그렇지 않습니다. That's not so. 그, 그 시간과 공간 그 조건 속에서는 우리는 선택을 할 수밖에 없습니다. So in that space and time, in that context that you are there, then you have to make a choice. 그러니까 그, 그 조건 속에서 상대적으로 정의가 존재합니다. So within that space-time context, there is something called justice that you can choose. For example, example, if you're taking a shower, you're faced with the choice to take a shower with the clothes on or clothes off. Obviously, choose the latter. So there's a context matters when you make a choice. So in that sense, you know, it helps us to actually look at what nature does in certain contexts to kind of ground truth, you know, where we start in terms of defining, you know, justice. In the past, we put, we put the human being, actually the person, as a kind of standard bearer for the definition of justice. We also put the male human being as kind of central figure in that justice. We also put the white person, white male, as kind of standard bearer for the justice. And Christianity kind of was a standard bearer defining that justice. And also put the adult as the kind of standard bearer for defining that justice. Because we define justice based on those type of criteria you know, we create a lot of side effects, unintended consequences, based on the application of that specific definition of justice. So now let's consider others in the nature, not just the human beings when defining justice. Not just men, but also women. Not just whites, but people of other colors. Not just Christianity, but other faith traditions. Not just adults, but also children. So we need to define a more inclusive definition of justice by expanding our standards by which we define justice. And that's because the world that we have come to interact with and become aware of has become larger. We are experiencing environmental degradation today. We are listening to the voices of women crying out against discrimination. We are listening to the voices of uh, people of color crying out for dis against discrimination. And we hear voices from other religions. And we hear resistance from the youth of the world. To listen to these voices, and allow them to participate and co-define what it means to be just. And even that is not an absolute definition of justice. In a, if we are faced with other contexts and more inclusive voices, then we'll probably have to expand or shift our defini definition of justice. But today, you know, we try to base the definition of justice on past morality and ethics, so we are faced with a need to redefine justice in a more collaborative, inclusive way. I believe we need to bring two perspectives to this. So until now, we viewed ourselves as independent beings living in the same space-time, but our perspective really needs to switch from a more like a network, like a web of interconnected beings. And second is that we kind of consider ourselves all pretty much the same, 
but we need to start acknowledging that there are differences among us and build our society based on those differences. 저는 그두 가지 기초 위에 오늘 우리들의 어떤 사회적 정의들을 설, 새로 규정해야 되지 않나 생각합니다. I think those are two foundational perspectives on, upon which we can build a new definition of justice. And I would say a, a better world for all of us to live together. An ecological civilization. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Venerable Panyun, for joining us and for your hard work on saving sentient beings and the world, um, which are core features of this emerging ecological civilization that we're striving for. And thank you, Jason. You're uh, an amazing interpreter for being here with us today as well. Thank you.